Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Coolangatta podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. For the last two years, we've been journeying through Genesis as a community, delving into the origin stories and histories of our faith. In this series of Genesis, we step into the patriarchal families of Abraham and continue to see how both the promise of God is fulfilled, but also the brokenness of man. Ultimately, we see that even though we are the great promise breakers, he is the great promise keeper. We pray that this message is a blessing. Hello, New Life Cool and Gatter. It is so good to be with you this morning. As Katie mentioned, my name is Anna and I have the privilege of uh, leading alongside two different communities. The first one is our uh, New Life Rabina Young Adults community. And then the second one uh, is our Catalyst cohort. And uh, we have representation from Cool and Gatter doing Catalyst this year. And we're only about three weeks in, but it has been an absolute honour and privilege to uh, be within close proximity uh, to some of the the New Life Coolangatta congregation um, as they pursue discipleship and to put a year of, of their life uh, aside to really invest deeply in their, their walk with Jesus. And so it's been really fun by proximity being part of your community in that way. And uh, I get the opportunity this morning to continue our series on Genesis and Pastor Scott is away this week, um, so we can go a little bit rogue in his absence, uh, but it is it is really fun to be with you. I love preaching in this community. It reminds me a lot of the church that I grew up in, and uh, just it has a sense of home. So thank you for welcoming me and uh, inviting me into this space. So we're in this series of Genesis, and we're tracking through some of the big stories and the, the chapters of this uh, first book of the Bible. And it is quite an interesting book in that the stories in it are so uh, far-fetched at times, but also very intriguing to track the lives of these people. And uh, I think that even though their context looks extremely different to ours today, uh, I don't know, but sometimes I find myself seeing a little glimpse of my heart and my experience through their journeys. And so this morning, uh, we get to continue in the life of Joseph. And uh, there's, there's going to be quite a lot happening. Uh, and we're going to read a whole chunk of scripture together. So uh, I hope that sounds okay with you. But before we jump in, I would would love to just say a quick prayer. I know we've prayed a lot this morning, but I think that there's something powerful when we just come before the Lord and uh, allow him to do a work through us. So would you join me as I pray? Lord God, I thank you that you are here this morning, that you are with us. Lord, and that uh, regardless of what our week has looked like, this moment where we get to be in church, can act as an oasis from a busy week where we have no other demands of us other than to focus our attention on you. So Lord, will you help us with that? Will you help us to fix our gaze and our attention upon you now? Lord, I thank you for the way that your scripture, the Bible is alive and it's active. And Lord, I pray that it speaks to us deeply this morning. Lord, will you uh, touch the words that I say with your Holy Spirit so that they uh, deeply resonate in our hearts? Lord, I thank you for the promise that your word does not return void. And so, Lord, do a deep work in us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. I want to start off this morning asking you to have a little bit of a think of a time when you asked yourself the question or you noticed that this wasn't how it was meant to be. This was not how it was meant to be. You could be thinking of something that's very immediate and something that happened to you even this weekend where you realise that this was not how it was meant to be. But maybe uh, there's people in the room that at school you realised that uh, you wanted to be a nurse or a teacher or an electrician or something and you, you put in the years to study and apprentice those things. You did hours of practical training and then you found yourself in full-time work and maybe it's like week nine or something of your term and you're thinking, gosh, this is not how it was meant to be. This is not how I dreamed teaching or nursing or a trade was supposed to be. Or maybe you've slaved away for many years in your profession and uh, you spent long, hard hours working very hard just in the hopes that retirement is coming, where you're going to be free from the tyranny of work and uh, you're going to have all this free time to do nothing. And now that you're retired, you realise, oh, this was not how it was supposed to be. I'm looking after the grandkids every day. I'm busier than ever. This isn't how it was supposed to be. Or maybe in your younger years, uh, you remember dating someone and thinking, we're going to spend the rest of our lives together. And you, you dreamt of, of the future that you would hold and uh, planned out every moment. And, and maybe that relationship ended. And in the grief and in the loss and in the wrestling and the questions, you just realized this is not how I thought my life was supposed to be. Last one, I wonder if generally you thought life with God was going to be easy and happy and full of things going right and well. And now that there seems to be the life experience that has challenge and trial and suffering, and you, you think this wasn't how life with God was meant to be. And I think that sometimes one of the most challenging and one of the most painful things in our life is when our dreams and our aspirations and our hopes don't align with reality. And we're caught in this not only painful, but very confusing time of, of sometimes then asking God the question, well, where is God in all of this? In the suffering and the pain and the confusion and the trial of, of being lost or wondering, we do seem to ask God this question, well, where are you? Where are you in all of this? And so, like good Christians, we turn to the Bible and we open it up and luckily we find ourselves in good company of people's, people whose lives kind of at times were very difficult and seemed to kind of suck. And we find great comfort recognising that we are not the only ones and that uh, people have gone before us who also recognise this challenge of, of having such good hope and such good future, but then being stuck in that wrestle of, okay, well, where, where is God? And in the book of Genesis, gosh, there is plenty of people who uh, walk through hardship. There's plenty of people whose lives don't seem to go right at all. And uh, we're in this story of Joseph at the moment. And Joseph's life actually has the most amount of chapters, the most amount of airtime in the Bible compared to anyone else's life other than Jesus, pretty much. And I think that that's because 
the story of his life could make up any next Netflix series uh, full to the brim. There's a sense of family dynamics, there's betrayal, there's someone who's like sold out by his family. Then we have near-death experiences. And then it all kind of finishes up in some sort of happy ending that seems a little bit unbelievable. And it sounds a bit like a hit TV show. But, um, you know, over the last few weeks, you've had David and Scott and, and others kind of preach about this life and the heritage that happened. We, we heard about... Um, Joseph in the early stages of his life. And if you remember back to chapter 37, uh, this is where we're introduced to Joseph in the sense of him having these dreams. He has these dreams and what he does with them is just very reckless. And we need to remember Joseph is a teenage boy. There's not a lot of development in the front lobe cortex of his brain. And what he chooses to do with this information is quite dumb. And so he lords it over his family instead of kind of pondering it in his heart. He puts it right out there, verbally processes, and it ends up to um, cause him a little bit of grief where his family, uh, his brothers seem to uh, beat him half to death and throw him into a pit. Naturally, that happens. And so his life is kind of falling apart. Um, And he was given these dreams, if you remember, he was given these dreams where he was seen a a picture of a bright future, a picture of a future where he was going to have so much uh, sense of rulership, authority, influence. He was going to rule over his family. And there was, it was a really, really bright future. But then what happened next just made no sense in comparison to what God had shown him. And even though he was reckless at the beginning with what he did with that information, um, he still hold, held on to that deep promise that God had given him. It wasn't something that he shook off lightly. I think when God speaks to us in such a way, we hold on to it. And so his life is falling apart. And today we pick up the story in chapter 40. And so he's casually been beaten to death. He has um, been put into a a ditch, sold into slavery. Uh, He's in a foreign land. His boss's wife hits on him and then accuses him of, of rape and then gets thrown into prison. And that's where we find today's story. So why don't you turn with me to chapter 40 of Genesis. It's not going to be on the screens because it is quite long. And I'd love for you to either follow along in your Bible or just close your eyes and listen to the story um, for some comforting words that we hope Joseph's life gets a little bit better. All right, chapter 40, it starts off like this. Sometime later, the cup bearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, in case we forgot, uh, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. And so he went to Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house and said, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one here to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, don't 
interpretations belong to God? Well, tell, tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine, there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. Three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But hey, when all goes well with you, remember me and show kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off to the land of the Hebrews and then here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favourable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top baskets were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, said Joseph. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again he put the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had said in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Dum, dum, dum. What happens next? So, unfortunately, things aren't going up and to the right for our friend Joe here. He is in prison for some time and he's got these two people that he is in charge of, which in and of itself is an interesting uh, position to have in prison, to be in charge of other prisoners. Um, but his life is in this place of, of deep despair in a way. He's got this hope that one day I'm actually going to rule over people. I'm going to have this great influence. God showed me what my future is going to look like. He had a dream. But his reality looks nothing like that dream. And I'm sure Joseph was thinking, this is not how it was supposed to be. God, where are you? God, why is this happening? My life looks nothing like I thought it was going to. I think Joseph is in a place where he is walking through great suffering. He is in a place where there are challenges and trials for him to stay faithful, for him to uh, have integrity, which I know David spoke on so beautifully last week. But this time that he is in prison is not a time of ease. It's a time of deep challenge. And so this morning, our, our sermon is around what do we do when, when life is hard? What do we do when we're walking through seasons of great trial, of great suffering? What do we do when the hopes that we had, that we believe God put in our heart, have not come to fruition yet? What do we do in the middle, in the waiting? 
How do we walk alongside God uh, with, with integrity still, but with hope? How do we do that when things are hard? And there's three things, there's, there's many tools and resources and truths that I believe that can carry us through these seasons, but there's just three that God really put on my heart. They're really simple. They're not anything new, but I believe regardless of kind of the scale of what you're walking through, um, I hope that these three things will continue to uh, draw you to a place of, of nearness and, and true and faithfulness with God. So the first one is God is close. The second is God is in control. And the third is God will use this. There are three things that we're going to unpack this morning and um, three things that I hope after this morning you have a sense of, of tools in your belt as to when challenge comes, because um, it will, uh, when challenge comes. These are three things to remind ourselves and to prompt our heart in. So first one, God is close. Uh, it's easy to read Joseph's like full story and think that it's a like rags to riches, like success story. It's easy to forget these kind of chapters where actually things are really, really hard. And through this 13 years of him being in, in slavery and in prison, uh, God is doing a deep work in him, but it is not easy. And so this story is not very much like a, oh, look, everything will be good in the end kind of story. Um, so f- the first question I think when we're walking through suffering or challenge and trials, first question that's so natural to ask is where is God? Where is God? I was sitting with someone um, in a pastoral capacity the other day and they're going through something that's so trialing in their life. And that's the, the question that they're asking is where is God? This isn't how it was supposed to be. And our assumption is usually that if God is with us, then nothing bad will happen. That's our assumption. But the thing is, in the Bible and in the model of Jesus, what do we see is that Jesus, who actually was God himself, faced the cross. And if God is not immune to pain and suffering, why do we think we are? Why do we think that that is something that we are hoping to avoid? And our suffering does not mean that God has abandoned us. It's actually far from it. It's interesting that in the, the long kind of airtime that we see in Joseph's life, there's only a few mentions, and I think David mentioned this last week, there's a few mentions of where God is. To answer the question, well, where is God? There's two kind of windows that show us where he is. And the first one we see in chapter 39, right before this, when Joseph was a slave, And it says in verse two, the Lord was with Joseph, so he prospered. The Lord was with him in slavery. The second time is when Joseph is in prison. And it says, well, but while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor. And these moments where God is showing explicitly where he is, are not moments that we would imagine. They're not in the the beautiful, triumphant moments. They're actually in the low moments of Joseph's life. The two times that we see a window into uh, exactly where God is, is when he's a slave and when he's in prison. Out of all the chapters and all the verses in Joseph's life, they're the two reminders when we need it the most, when things are hard, that God is with us. So, It tells us, doesn't it, that if we want to make a point of where is God and we're asking the question, God, where are you? The truth is that in our 
trials, in our suffering, when we're asking the question, God is close. He is right there with us. It has been an experience of, of many of us that when we are walking through suffering, we discover that God is very close. And if, you walk with, if you're talking with someone who's been through any sense of long medical journey, any sense of deep grief and loss, any sense of real despair, seasons of life where longing has taken over for a job, for a partner, for a child to come to meet, meet God, there's this sense that in those moments, God is actually very close. He's very close to us. Mike Pilavachi and Andy Croft, they say this, God's initial solution to our hurt is his companionship. That's his initial response. He moves in close. They go on to tell this story, which I love. It's such a beautiful picture. It's about a father and a son. The son, he moves into a new bedroom in an attic. And the first night, he is uncomfortable and he's scared. There's strange noises, it's unfamiliar, and it's very dark. Eventually, to reassure him, his dad gives him a choice. He says he can switch the main light on and keep it on all night, or he can switch the light off but have his dad stay with him in the room. The boy goes for the second option. When it comes to comfort, he would rather have his father's presence in the darkness than his absence in the light. And I think that for us, when we are in moments where we're filled with fear, or the unknown, or we're concerned about what might happen next, rather than it all go away, I think I would much prefer Jesus' presence with me through the challenge. A well-known psalm that we know, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though I walk through trial, even though things do not appear to be what I'd hoped them to be, even though things are adding up and I don't actually know if I can bear it, What's the promise? I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The promise is that when we're asking the question, God, where are you? His answer is that I am very close. Second is that we know that God is in control. And so the one who is close, thankfully, is also the one who is in control. And the truth is that this can feel a little bit like a, a safety ring or a, or a life jacket when the swell picks up. It's something that actually helps us hold on for dear life when we're not sure where the tide is taking us. But can I say this second point is very hard to do. We can be comforted by the sense that God is with us, that he never leaves us or forsakes us. But then to trust him in the process is a whole nother level. It is not easy. The questions of, you know, why, God? Why has this happened? What, what are you doing through it? I can't quite see the point in this yet. It is too painful. I know you're here, but I don't know if I trust you. This is the hard moment. I love what A.W. A. Tozer says. He's an incredible theologian. Um, he says, God is in control. He may not always take away the storms of life, but he can always calm the storms within our hearts. 
And I like this quote because I think that it speaks to the difference between circumstance of what's happening externally within the ability to change what's happening internally. And it's not that God wants to just get away with all the storms, but I think that when we invite him into our heart, he's able to calm something within us regardless of the circumstance that is around us. And when we look at the story of Joseph, I think that's what we see, right? The storm is still all around him. He is still in jolly prison for nothing. For what? Why? And he is doing well in prison. He's looking after other people. He's got favor. He's interpreting dreams. He's doing all this stuff. And yet he's still in prison. And so for him, he would be like, God, get me out of here. Take away the storm. Come and sort things out for me. But what we see is that God continues to do a deep work within Joseph. And I love that God strategically has positioned him there. And I love that as well. Can you imagine if the cupbearer and the baker um, had some kind of encounter with God that wasn't a dream? But the thing is, they had dreams. And even though Joseph really stuffed up how he interpreted and communicated the first round of dreams, it's something that's familiar to him. Joseph knows that interpretations of dreams come from the Lord and he's had experience in that. And so this idea that God is working these things out and his positioning and he is kind of putting little steps of favour even in the midst of really hard times reassures Joseph's heart that God is in control. It doesn't mean that he doesn't stop begging for freedom though, right? I love that it's like actually not just this super Christian-y response where you don't see the humaneness of Joseph's heart. We see in verse 14, it says, but when all goes well with you, hey, 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 remember me, (laughs) show kindness to me, mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of prison. Joseph is still longing for that freedom. And just because we have this perspective on suffering that helps us recognise that God is close and that he is control, it doesn't mean that we don't want it to end. I think I I love that point where I'm like, yes, Joseph, I get you. I would want to get out as well. You're not just crazy enjoying the suffering of prison. And, And he aches for justice and he aches for a sense to be released. And in verse 23, when he wasn't, remembered at the end of that chapter where it's just like, oh, and the guy who just got his life saved and back out of prison forgets him. Can you imagine the disappointment? Can you imagine how he is feeling so let down? Again, in that place of wrestle. And and chapter 41, you think is going to start with some good news, but it just starts with the extremely reassuring words of it happened to be at the end of two full years. Two more years in prison. Gosh, this thing, can you imagine uh, Joseph's sense of, of longing to say like, God, how long? Are you in control? I, I know that you're developing character within me. I know that you've put me in a position where I'm able to lead and have favour and I, I know you're doing a work in me and I know that you'll use this all for good one day, but gosh, God, how long? How long is this going to go on for? I can see it, but my desire is for freedom. God may be close to us 
And even though it may be terribly confusing as to what his plan is in all of it, we believe in a God who is faithful. We believe in a God who is, who is working it out. We believe in a God who goes before us and holds the future in his hands. We're able to say, even if it's through gritted teeth, God, you are in control. And we move into the position of hope in the third point, which is God will use this. God will use this. I was sitting uh, with someone the other day who is uh, going through something quite horrific. And she said to me, um, my hope, Anna, is that one day God will use this, that he will use this to help someone else, that this won't be for nothing. And in that moment, I saw someone who had a beautiful perspective and a beautiful hope that even through the absolute crap of life, even when things are horrifically hard, as Christians, as people who walk with God, we actually have the hope that God will use this somehow, in some way, for good. And we don't know what it's going to be like and we don't know how, but that's the hope that we carry on. That's the hope that we have. And I think that's the gift of our faith, right, is that we have this hope, that we have the trust that God uses all things for good for those who believe. And I think that as a, in brackets, it needs to have somehow and in some way, because when you're in it, it's very hard to just hold on to those words uh, without the sense of, but God, it is up to you and it is a mystery to me. And I just hope that it has some amount of good in someone else's life. In uh, Joseph's example, we see him being caught up in prison for a, lot, a long time. And I think that his walk with God shows us a beautiful picture of what it means to dig in, to persevere, to have that character develop in him. And I think that he stayed faithful day in, day out. And we see glimpses in that, in how he still accredits the fact that interpretations are from the Lord and that it's not through him and through his own might that he is able to sense what God is, uh, what these dreams are doing. It's, it's nothing that he's doing. It's through a close relationship with God. And that, that's admirable to walk through that much pain and that much suffering and then still have this this close relationship with God. It was actually a total, this is a fun fact for people who like fun facts, a total of 4,745 days that he was walking through trials. This includes the time that he was in slavery. This includes the time of him being sold into that place. And I, I think that in those 4,745 days, there was a sense of day after day, he chose to live out another day in chains faithfully. He had evenings of praying to God, not knowing whether his circumstances would change. He made the decision to walk closer to God and not to walk away. He spent time when the daily resolution to dig in defined his trajectory of his story. And he recognised that when he is going through hell, he needs to keep going. There is a sense of 
very strong perseverance that comes when our character is being developed. My dad had a very annoying saying that he used to say to me any time I would come to him and say things were hard or things were unfair or things didn't go right. He would always turn to me and say, yes, well, Anna, that's character building. And through gritted teeth, I'd be like, yes, but I don't care about my character. <laughs> I want it to be easier. But I think it's true. We don't develop character when things are just easy. We develop character when things are tough. And Joseph's example is a great example of perseverance, but Jesus's is better still. Jesus's example of persevering through pain and through suffering is one that this Easter, I hope, goes even further into our hearts. In Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, uh, the second half, it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Jesus could see purpose where other people could have seen meaningless suffering. People said, get down from there if you're the king of the Jews, if you're the son of God, get out of it. You know, step out of the suffering, you could do it. And he could, of course he could. But he saw purpose that meant that he endured the cross. And, and those crazy words for the joy set before him. And I asked the question, well, what was the joy? What was it? And it's, in, it's astonishing, but we were. We were the joy. You were the joy. I was the joy that he saw in those moments of suffering that he said, for that reason, I will endure the cross. For that perspective, knowing that God will use this, for this perspective of purpose, I will endure the cross. And I think this has been the testimony of many saints through the years. They have persevered and triumphed through suffering because of, at the lowest points of their life, at the time when things were not as they should have been, they kept sight of Jesus. They followed his example. They recognised that God will use this for his purposes, for his glory. They kept their eyes fixed on him. And so it is through the stories in the Bible of Joseph's life, of Joseph's life through the absolute redeeming work of Christ on the cross, that we recognise that even though suffering is inevitable, it's actually one of the most human conditions, experience, human experiences there is, even though those things will come, we're given this reassurance and I don't know about you, but I would not want to go through the trials and the struggling of this life without God being close, without knowing that he is in control and without the hope that he is working things together for good and that we are praying that his kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And so my prayer is that we do remember those things, that we don't lose sight of them, that we are encouraged by the simple truth. God is close. He is in control and he will use it. Will you pray with me?
Heavenly Father, I am acutely aware that in this room there would be um, plenty of people who are going through great trial, trial that I know nothing about, maybe even friends and family might not know about, but Lord, I thank you that you do know about it, that you care. Lord, that you are in control. And Lord, I thank you that it is not going to be wasted. But Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit to come now and to comfort those who are suffering, Lord. God, comfort those who are in a place where they're not sure if they can do it any longer. Lord, for people who are supporting people who are going through suffering, Lord, I pray that you will continue to fill up their cup, fill up their compassion, their capacity, their endurance and perseverance. Lord, I pray that the lies of the enemy will not get in our head in times when things are tough, saying that you're that you're distant or that you're far away. Lord, I thank you for the truth is that you are close, that your companionship is our gift during times of struggling. And Lord, I just ask for uh, those people who particularly are in a place where they're recognising this is not how it was meant to be. Lord, where you've put dreams in their heart, you've put a vision before them. And Lord, they're not sure how it's working out. I ask through your spirit, will you put a sense of perseverance in them, Lord? Give them a vision of you. Pull them forward, Lord. Help them to have what it takes to be able to just take each day and choose to follow you faithfully. Lord, I just want to pray for people who are not sure yet, Jesus, if you are real or if you are worth it or if you are good. And Lord, I pray for those in this room who are questioning your character. God, I pray you'll reveal yourself through Scripture, through other Christians, through creation. Lord, whatever means you need to use to make your character known to these people who are wondering and curious about you. Lord, we ask that you'll do that clearly this morning. I pray that you'll anoint conversations over food trucks and coffees this morning, Lord. I pray that we'll be a community of compassion towards one another. Lord, may these words not fall um, on deaf ears, Lord, but rather take deep root in our hearts. Come and speak to us as we worship you now and move amongst your people through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.